I'm Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa Simone, And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on how tax law facilitates dark money. In 2021, Barry Side contributed his vast fortune to a 501c4 welfare organization. In 2022, Yvonne Chouinard did the same. In today's episode, we explain the history of 501c4 organizations, how they can support a vast array of objectives, and the tax benefits they offer to those who contribute money to them. Hello, Lisa. Hello, B. Previously on Taxes for the Masses, Lisa and Bridget detailed the tax treatment of the Chouinard family's donation of Patagonia, worth upwards of $3 billion to various entities. Okay, I'm a little afraid to ask, but what are you doing? All right, so last episode we ended on a cliffhanger. Yes. So I thought I'd like to bring us back to, you know, soap opera style, because it occurred to me that we do not talk enough about soap operas on this podcast. Nope. Uh Uh-uh. Stopping you right there. Not going to happen. I tolerate 90210 and OC references. I am not going to let you further lower the IQ of this show with references to soap operas. Not going to happen. You know, some some people also call them stories. Don't even care a little bit. Like, please stop talking to me. I need to go watch my stories. Nope. Mm Mm-mm. All right, well then our listeners are gonna miss out because today's topic could definitely be a storyline for a daytime or a primetime soap, if we're being real. We're gonna talk about government scandals, dark money, political influence, and young millionaires trying to give away their inherited fortune to taxes. That's right. Today we conclude our two episode arc on quote unquote charitable giving mm-hmm. by digging a bit deeper into those 501c4 organizations we talked about in the Patagonia example. So first we'll talk a little bit more about what they are and how a Supreme Court ruling in 2010 made them a bit more problematic. Next, we'll outline the tax consequences of a transaction that billionaire Barry Side made in 2021 to transfer his company to a 501c4 organization. And then we're going to wrap it all up with a discussion of Millionaires for Humanity. Which, by the way, I think would make an excellent title for a soap opera. Oh my God, move (laughs) on. Okay, I digress. So let's start things off with an exploration of good old code section 501. Section 501 outlines which types of entities are generally exempt from income tax. And I say generally because anyone who's ever looked at a tax code section knows that there are always exceptions to the general rule. Within code section 501, subsection C enumerates the different types of tax exempt entities. Exactly. So 501C3 exempts entities that are organized and operated solely for religious, charitable, scientific, literary, or educational purposes. And these are what we tend to think of as charities. As such, they're limited in the types of political activities that they can engage in. For example, they cannot endorse candidates and they cannot make campaign contributions. So to clarify, does this mean that if I were to run for president, I could not accept contributions of Girl Scout cookies? I I think that's accurate, yeah. Okay, well then forget that idea. Like you were gonna run for president. It was happening. In contrast, exempt entities organized and operated, quote, exclusively for the promotion of social welfare are called 501c4 organizations. 
And importantly, these organizations can engage in political activity like endorsing candidates and making campaign contributions as long as politics aren't the organization's, quote, primary activity. And who, you might ask, is responsible for determining whether a 501c4 entity has crossed the line into making politics its primary activity? None other than the Internal Revenue Service. Ah. And you might not be shocked to hear that attempts by the IRS to monitor the activity of 501c4s have been, shall we say, less than successful. Uh, We can say that it could be an understatement, but we'll just go with that. We'll stick with unsuccessful, less than successful. Okay. According to reporting by ProPublica, which the IRS disputes, not one of the 2000 existing 501c4 organizations, which we're just gonna start calling C4s for short. As long as I can start referencing C3PO. 501c3PO? No. Star Star Wars. So so you get to talk about daytime and evening soap operas all the time and I like try to throw in one Star Wars reference and you look at me like I'm crazy. Yes, that's exactly what just happened. And I know what the next year of episodes is going to be like. With the next it's one. It's going to be Star Wars. Oh, no. Left and right. Oh, I Congratulations. Off. Mistakes were made, people. I'm sorry. The correct response to that is I've got a bad feeling about this. She's staring at me blankly. Yeah, I got nothing. I yeah, I, I, apologies. Okay. Um, all right. So backing up, not one of the 2000 existing C4s that allegedly warranted review by the IRS was actually reviewed. Yikes. Moreover, the IRS gets to determine which entities qualify for C4 status in the first place, which doesn't seem like it should be difficult to achieve. In 2017, the IRS rejected only three out of the almost 1,500 applications it received for C4 status. If only reviewers at academic journals were so kind. Right. So why is this happening? Um, Several reasons. So first, there's been a substantial uptick in the number of political entities applying for C4 status since 2010. And that uptick is at least partially attributable to the Supreme Court ruling in Citizens United. Yippers. So Citizens United essentially allows C4 organizations to engage in political activities like many other groups can and do. The key difference is that C4 organizations are not monitored by the Federal Election Commission like other politically active groups are. Most importantly, they are not required to provide detail about their donors or their expenditures, hence the phrase dark money. And you may remember from our episode on Patagonia that donations to C4 organizations don't generate tax deductions for the person making the contribution, but they aren't subject to gift tax either. That's thanks to a provision of the PATH Act signed by President Obama in 2015 that stipulates contributions to these organizations are not subject to gift taxes because before that, there was some uncertainty about it. So in 2010, these C4 organizations became more attractive because of the Supreme Court's blessing to engage in politics and because of the secrecy they provide. Then in 2015, they got a little added tax boost from the PATH Act. These organizations' applications for tax-exempt status are approved by the IRS, and the agency is also tasked with monitoring their compliance with the requirement that politics not become their primary activity. And the IRS is doing this all while between 2010 and 2018, the IRS division that regulates tax-exempt entities lost about 40% of their staff. So applications up, staffing, and monitoring down. Which is not a great combination. No. So perhaps one reason the IRS isn't strictly regulated regulating these dark money organizations is because there are more organizations and fewer resources. Yes. Check. 
Another potential reason is that the IRS was embroiled in a scandal in 2013 for improperly scrutinizing conservative groups' applications for tax-exempt status. So, you know, they may be a little wary of looking like they're targeting political organizations on the right again. That is totally fair. We should also note that after that scandal, the IRS inspector general recommended some changes related to the monitoring of these C4 organizations, including a recommendation to clearly define what primary activity means. The IRS attempted to do so when it drafted proposed regulations in 2013 and initially suggested that C4 organizations be barred from any campaign-related activity. After a mere 150,000 comments were issued urging the IRS to abandon the regulations, the good old PATH Act basically suspended the IRS's ability to provide the much-needed clarification in this area by legislating that the service couldn't use any of its funds to issue guidance related to the standard used to determine if C4 organizations were operating as they should. That's quite an about face. So where does that leave us? Um, More than a billion dollars in dark money was spent during the 2020 election cycle with the majority of funds being contributed to, wait for it, liberal groups. That is surprising. Right? President Biden is estimated to have received nearly seven times as much dark money as President Trump, making 2020 the first presidential election cycle where Democrats benefited more from dark money. Yet despite benefiting more from dark money, it's the Democrats who are seeking to crack down. So Senator John Sarbanes, not to be confused with Paul Sarbanes of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, introduced the For the People Act in 2019 to require C4 entities, among others, to file reports with the Federal Election Commission disclosing election spending over $10,000 and disclosing the source of all their contributions. And the bill ultimately stalled in the Senate, where some Democrats, including Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, were opposed to ending the filibuster for the bill. What? Shocker. I know. Let's talk about how all of this works in practice using non-engineering Barry side as an example. You did that way too easily. That was my attempt to get you back for octogenarian Mr. Chenard. Bring it. Just you just it just it just rolled off the tongue there. So moving on, Barry side was sole owner of Triplight, a company that made surge protectors for over 50 years. In April of 2020, Side transferred 100% of his ownership in the company to the newly created 501c4 Marble Freedom Trust. A year later, the Marble Freedom Trust sold the company to Eaton Corporation for $1.65 billion. Holy Batman, that's a lot of surge protectors. All right, so let's talk taxes. Instead of donating the shares to Marble Freedom Trust, Saeed could have sold his shares to Eaton outright and donated his after-tax cash flow to Marble. In that case, he likely would have had an enormous capital gain because he'd held his shares in that company for almost 50 years, meaning his basis was probably effectively zero. Mm -hmm. So let's keep it simple and assume that his capital gain on that sale of his company to Eaton Corporation would have been $1.6 billion. Okay. At a 23.8% federal tax rate, Side would have owed about $380 million in taxes to the U.S., Add in another roughly 5% to Illinois, which is where Side lived, and you've got a total tax liability of $461 million, or $461 million less that Side would have had to donate to the trust. Exactly. So by donating his shares directly to the trust, Said avoided the income tax consequences of a sale, 
And because the trust was a 501c4 organization, he also avoided having to pay any gift taxes on the contribution. That means that the Marble Freedom Trust now has $1.65 billion at its disposal to advance the social welfare. So Lisa, what do we know about Marble Freedom Trust and how it is going to advance the social welfare? Well, because it's a trust and not a corporation, it's not required to disclose information about its directors. Mm -hmm. ProPublica determined the trust was organized in Utah, and its listed address is a house in North Salt Lake owned by an individual who used to clerk for Justice Clarence Thomas. We also know that before it was sold to Eaton Corporation, Leonard Leo was listed as a corporate officer. Now, for our listeners who don't know, Leo is a conservative attorney and widely credited with helping President Trump reshape the Supreme Court to its current composition in the hopes of having the opportunity to overturn Roe v. Wade. Which, of course, has happened. Mm -hmm. But liberal groups can achieve similar objectives by funneling dark money through these social welfare entities, right? Exactly. So if you recall from our last episode, Yvonne Chouinard donated the bulk of his vast Patagonia fortune to a 501c4 social welfare organization tasked with battling climate change. So perhaps this 501c4 will be more transparent than the Marble Freedom Trust, but just to play devil's advocate, what if it's not transparent and this dark money supposedly battling climate change is mostly being used to wine and dine government officials to more heavily regulate the carbon emissions as sustainability practices of other outdoor apparel companies? Ooh, I like where your head's at. That would be pretty clever from a market competition perspective. Um, it seems kind of unlikely that the whole point of it is to, you know, get the government to regulate Patagonia's competitors. Agree. But I agree that these examples from both side and Schunard raise the real question of who should have the power to determine what is in the social welfare. It does. And that takes us to our final mini topic for today, Millionaires for Humanity. According to its website, this international network of millionaires advocates for a wealth tax. Abigail Disney, who is heiress to the Walt Disney fortune, is part of the group. Pizzerina Sabaro, heir to the Sabaro fortune, is not. <laughs> Another member and partial heir to her family's multi-billion dollar fortune, Marlene Engelhorn, was featured recently in the New York Times explaining her desire to be more heavily taxed. What? Yes, you heard that right. What? She believes that the wealthy regardless of their political views, should not get to decide which of their personal interests and passions deserve funding. Instead, inherited fortunes should be, quote, democratically allocated to the state. She went on to say that philanthropy extends existing power dynamics. Ms. Englehorn founded another group called Tax Me Now. It has a policy goal of implementing or increasing inheritance taxes in Central Europe. Ms. Englehorn lives in Austria, which eliminated its inheritance tax in 2018. Now, before you get too impressed with these millionaires wanting to give their money away, they are advocating for a wealth tax of only 1% annually. Mm. For comparison, you'll recall the ultra-millionaire tax proposed by Senator Elizabeth Warren called for a 2% tax on wealth between 50 million and 1 billion and a 6% tax on billionaires. Millionaires for humanity, but no ultra-millionaire tax for the U.S. Scheiße. Now it is 
time for the good, the bad, and the ugly, and just to prove a point, which is something that I like to do quite frequently. Uh huh. Um, I'm going to start off with the good again. You know, I love it when your obstinance actually works in my favor for once. I'm super excited that we got to shed some light on the dark money of 501c4 social welfare organizations. See what I did there? You truly have a way with words. I agree. I, for one, tend to conflate all 501Cs as the same, but as we've seen today, they were not all created equal. And so while it makes some sense that neither contributions to 501C3 charities nor 501C4 social welfare organizations result in a gift tax, this is one case where I can get behind inconsistent treatment of the donations when it comes to claiming a charitable contribution. Right. Charities are required to make certain public disclosures about where the money goes, how the organization is governed, etc., That transparency makes me somewhat more okay with folks getting a charitable deduction for donation to these entities. But I agree the lack of transparency around social welfare organizations makes me happy that donors do not get a donation for contributions to those. You just highlighted two good things about this episode on dark money. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. And um, are we on to the bad yet? Yes, you've eaten your vegetables and you may now move on to dessert. Okay. Um, so where should we start? Cause I think we probably have a lot of bad things to say about dark money. Yeah. Um, okay. Here's one. Let's start with IRS funding. Cause we've never talked about that before. I know we're a little bit of a broken record on this issue, but it just doesn't make sense to me not to give one of the most efficient tax authorities in the world, not to mention the tax authority for one of the biggest, richest countries in the world, enough resources to do its job effectively. And by doing its job effectively, I obviously mean collecting taxes that are owed, not going around harassing already compliant taxpayers. And it shouldn't be too surprising to hear that I could not agree with you more on this. A key Republican midterm message fallaciously suggested that the $80 billion increase in funding over 10 years passed as part of the Inflation Reduction Act would be used to hire 87,000 new agents with guns which every fact checker on the planet mm-hmm. out there has verified mm-hmm. is total nonsense. Total. But it's always made me wonder why they are so against restoring the IRS budget and workforce to levels that it had 10 years ago. So the targeting of right-leaning 501c3s that happened under Obama always fit the bill as one reason they'd be against increasing IRS funding. But now I wonder if there's something more nefarious at play. And I had the same thought. Um, So it was news to me that Biden received more dark money in 2020 than Trump. Like, really surprising to me. But perhaps Republicans think that that's just like a short-term blip, and they want to preserve their ability to use these 501c4 organizations for political purposes. And in order to do that, they want to limit IRS oversight. I thought the same thing too, which is not surprising because we share a brain. I wish you would share it with me more frequently. <sighs> it doesn't get me get me very far. Um, <laughs> but I do think it raises the question of whether this is all really just about regulating 501c4s like the Marble Freedom Trust. Mm. And one way to prevent regulation is to hamstring the IRS by continuing to give them fewer and fewer resources and more and more work to do. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a super intriguing argument. It makes a ton of sense to me that that might be what's going on, but I will acknowledge that we are in danger of trying to get into the heads of politicians to explain why they do and say the things they do and say. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all of which is necessarily rational. No. So in all likelihood, there's probably a lot of reasons behind not wanting to give the IRS enough money to, you know, do their job. Okay, fair enough. And on to the ugly. 
And that is understanding all the ways our democracy is not as democratic as it could be. Say more words. Just try and stop me. <laughs> so I think one of the things that this Millionaires for Humanity, looking at their website, it made me think about is they're kind of assuming that if you give your money to the government, it's going to be spent in a more democratic way than if you keep it in the hands of private citizens. But I think that raises the question, at least in the US, are tax dollars really spent in a quote, democratic way? Keep going. So in other words, does paying tax and giving the money to the government ensure that these existing power dynamics will no longer be exacerbated through quote, social programs? Can we really have progress on that front if politicians who get to decide the spending, how those tax dollars are spent, are held captive by the wealthy through their political contributions? Ah, these are all good questions. I do not know the answer to them. Um, and I'm starting to get a little depressed at what I think the answer might be. And I'll just add that it's very interesting to read the perspective of the Millionaires for Humanity, many of whom inherited their wealth, talking about how the government not taxing them more leads to greater systemic inequity passed down generation to generation. And if they do decide to give their money away, they are the ones that get to decide which causes to support, even if those causes aren't what most people consider to be for the greater social welfare. Could not agree more with that. So these two episodes on giving here in the season of giving mm -hmm. um, have really made me think about whether the way we have it set up in the U.S. in particular uh, and in many rich countries, generally speaking, makes the most sense. On the one hand, you know, in a free market, you earn the money and then you also earn the right to spend it as you see fit. And I get that. But on the other hand, we're giving the rich a lot of power to shape the government and policies and society. Yes, a key problem as I see it is that these two ideas of social spending and political finance are very connected. Indeed, and um, perhaps too connected for you know the good of society. But sadly, with Congress split starting in 2023, it'll be a couple of years before we see any meaningful tax legislation whether that's to better regulate these 501c organizations or to tighten up the estate tax or to tackle intergenerational wealth and inequity through other taxes. But do not fear, intrepid listeners. There will be more drama and intrigue on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses. Nicely done. Thank you. Well, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses.